Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good evening, Al, and welcome all to part eight of my life, my music with the governor, Alan Hudson. How things? Uh, yep, yep, it's uh, different, isn't it? <laughs> it's an absolute mad one, but as always, Al, played in beautifully by Barbara Streisand, Memories, The Way We Were, which pretty yep. much sums up what the programme is all about. We play six tracks and talk about the, the thought process, the stories behind the tracks that shaped one of British football. No, not one of British football, one of world's football's greatest ever talents, you. Well, we uh, we covered quite a lot, don't we? I, yeah, think, we it's, uh, we, um, I think it's a good show. I, I would like to listen to it myself. I play it back and I'm, I'm quite happy with it. I, I listen to a lot of stuff on TV and, uh, and a lot of it's irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, it's very enjoyable, Paul. And I think what happens these days... You know the, the the relevance the relevance of radio, TV, media is all about the now, the Premier League, and you guys of yesteryear. And I have noticed because of the coronavirus outbreak that everyone's talking about, we're all in lockdown, we can't get out. Sky TV are now showing some of the old games, and on YouTube, the football clubs are showing some of the old games. Something that we've been doing for several seasons. Well, yeah, I mean, they they go back there. I mean, they, it, it's like, um, I, I don't, we speak about you and I speak about it a lot, but I mean, why why wait until this we get this virus before yep. we show the Maradona yep. uh, show the other night, which was something incredible. You know, they, they showed the Jimmy Grease one the other day, which wasn't because of the virus, but it'd been far too long. Um, but we, we're, you know, we forget we forget the greats too easily, and you know, as I say, I'm, as I've said in the past in my pieces, you know, we watch match of the day, and and then I thought sitting here last Saturday night, I forgot that it was you know it was in the night when I usually I I don't always put it on, but I put match of the day on because I've got interest, uh, and I think well I'd rather watch this every day of the week. Than watch match of the day, yeah, and listen to the tribe that's spoken on there. It seems that the people on match of the day are just there to have an evening on their own and talk about what they want to talk about. And and I and we watch something quite incredible on Saturday night. Uh, the great, possibly the greatest player of all time. Would you 
put him up there as the top player? Because, again, for me, Al, I mean, you, you're slightly older than what I am. I remember watching you as a kid, going down to St Andrews, my dad taking me down. And we always used to play, before we went, and, and I started going down Birmingham at about the age of seven, and, and he'd go seven, eight, nine, <coughs> ten, and eleven. And I used to have to pick a couple, and he'd pick a couple. So whoever had picked, say, eight and ten, if that goal, if the goal, first goal was scored by them players, I mean, I don't know, I'd probably get a bag of Smarties or something. There was there was no money involved, but there was that little bit of, of excitement. And my dad always identified players, so I was really aware of you, of Osgood, of Stan Bowles, of Rodney Marsh, of, you know, all of these great players, Tony Curry, you know, and and as a kid, I used to go down there and, and watch them players intensely. Yeah, well, I, 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 I sometimes I, I, people might think I'm a bit blase, but I'm certainly not. Um, I stand in and I, I, we have discussions in the pub and it, it, I, I, it makes me chuckle when they people say, well, he was better than him. And it's, it's yeah. a great pub argument and it, who yes, was yes, the yeah. best and all that. And I said, look, we, you know, a couple of my friends, one in particular, he's, he's a boxing, boxing nut. He comes from a boxing family and he says, you know, he talks about who was the best boxer of all time. And there's there's always an argument there. But And I say, look, Billy, you don't know until you've been in the ring with them, mate. Yeah. You don't know until you've been on the field with them. You don't know. You, you're talking about the greatest player of all time. You never know until you're you're actually facing one-on-one with Johan Cruyff. It's like you could ask a, a great defender, you know, who was the greatest player you played against. And they would tell you because they have to face them. Yeah. You know, it's all right standing on the terraces or sitting in the stands and say, well, he's a, he looks good. But when you're five, ten feet away from them and they do what they do, and that is why I, I sat there in awe the other night of uh, Maradona. I've always said that, and I and I stand by it, that Johan Cruyff is the best player I ever yeah. played against. Uh, in but, but he was every time I played against him three or four times, he was just out of this world. And... It was a bit scary at times, you know, because he comes somewhere else. And I just can't even, you know, I know some great players. I played with them and been out socialising with Pelly included, George Best included. Uh, but I just can't imagine anyone doing what Maradona, what I watched on Saturday night. And it wasn't just the way he played. It wasn't just the football. It was the circumstances. And I've kind of been in that in a, in a lesser way. And then under them circumstances, when I went to Stoke and people wanted me to foul and everybody said, oh, he's washed up, he won't be able to do it, he won't be able to do it. And they paid a record fee for me, the manager. And and, uh, and it, was a, it was a big, big thing because that fine line of you doing it and not doing it, it can, they can crucify you. If you don't live up to that record signing, they want to... They they want to batter you. They want to crucify you. But I weren't going to let that happen. And uh, my manager helped me through it, which is the way he handled things. And uh, when I think what, you know, when you think that Diego Maradona, he must be one of the only failures at Barcelona, according to this. He he didn't he didn't live up to what is what he was supposed to be. Um, and then he then he went to a second-rate team who never won the championship and and pulled it out pulled it out from nowhere and then we see the scenes in the streets and how they 
see them. It was frightening. And I had someone come onto my thing on Facebook uh, yesterday and said, it's a pity the way he was, was he what he was off the field and now as i said you don't understand me what this kind of genius what he had to go through what he had to put up with and, and then he had the mafia as, as well you know uh you know it's like when sinatra was up there and the greatest singer in the world and they they targeted him yeah. you know and uh, there's no way out i'm afraid you don't say no to them people and it's um I'm, I'm I'm glad that I just had the pressure that I had because under that pressure and to play like he played was just phenomenal. And I suppose it, it, it kind of leads us into <clears> our first track, which is Peter Gabriel and Don't Give Up because it's something that Diego Maradona didn't do. But when we look at players that we would perceive to be the greatest of, of them all, the greatest of all time, has there been a, a player that had more on his shoulders than what Diego Maradona had? I can't think. I, I, no, I can't. I, 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 I read one so. I read one day uh, a, a piece about Pele, but that was when he was a young kid. And uh, yeah. I heard it. Uh, I, I read that he had a terrible upbringing and he was raped by his coach. You know, that's yeah. how bad. That's how bad the times were. He was raped by his coach. And uh, this is what it was like in, in that country, them, them South American countries. And, you said they showed you the the how he was brought up, and we get people moaning about their upbringing, and then we see that, and um, all right, we see him as a kid with a ball, and we it's all right. I've seen kids at school, and I've seen they would have more ability than me, and they could keep the ball up a thousand times, and they could catch it on the back of their neck, and they could do all these tricks, but Diego. Could not only do that, he could. He done that for fun. He he just works, so, and his work ethic was unbelievable. His training and to to be you you couldn't live the life he lived and be that and be that fit off. And it's it's it, these people judge people like Maradona and they call him a cheat and everything else. And he told you why. He told you why in the story because of the Falk the Falklands and how they they were treated and everything else. Well, I think, you know, it's like when we played, uh, when I played against West Germany and Revy said, remember what they'd done to us in the war. Yeah. I don't agree. I don't agree with that. that. That was the furthest thing from my mind. And I wouldn't want to go out thinking something like that. But Maradona went out with that in mind against England. And, and you know, the Thierry Henry, he didn't go through that, but he cheated against Ireland. But that no one's ever, no one ever mentions it, you know, um, and that was even that was even a bigger injustice because he stopped them from going to the World Cup. And but uh, one of ours as well, our Paul Scholes, again one of the great players of modern times. He put the ball in with his hand. Um, the ball's come over a corner, if my memory serves me right, and he's punched in with, with with his hand in a Champions League game against um, Zenit St Petersburg. But nobody ever, ever, ever references that, but they do with Maradona because, do you know what? It was against us. If that would have been Gary Lineker that did it for us, you wouldn't have had this. I, I agree entirely. And that, that's what annoys me about these people, that yeah. uh, these um, pundits who sit there talking about football and they, they, they're, they're at the match and they're talking about it and they're so totally blinkered yeah. and biased are they are they are they told by the tv people to 
support us while they're on air and don't mm. don't see anything but England. It's just so wrong. And uh, as you say, you know they went they went bonkers in it. But that, the the fitting thing was it in that match um, was that he went and justified the whole thing. He put everything into its rightful place when he scored probably the greatest goal ever in a World Cup when he, he made the England team who was all chasing him from his own half and going, and then basically going round who, who he thought he was the best goalkeeper in the world at the time, Peter Shilton. Uh, and he he just went by him and laid it past him as if he wasn't there. It was just a phenomenal goal and it really did. And you see the delight on his face and the crowd. and that. that, that so that was a two sides to Maradona. He didn't have to cheat. He didn't need to cheat. Uh, but I suppose he did need to cheat because he he, he played in a team. He, he, he was the only man, really, that ever won the World Cup on his own. Yeah, pretty much. And also as well, when Maradona played at Wembley for the first time uh, in 1980, Argentina were then world champions. So I think Diego was about 16, arguably early 17, when the World Cup came out in Argentina, 78. And I think it was a toss-up between him and uh, Mario Kempes, who got the number 10 shirt. But I remember one run that Diego Maradona did, and it was very, very similar to the goal that he scored in Mexico. The only thing is at Wembley, it just went past the post, and we don't see that replayed as much as what we do see with the goal that he did score against uh, us in Mexico. And again, that's the difference. Sometimes if it goes in the onion bag, we keep having a repeat of it. Sometimes if it doesn't, we don't see it. But equally, both are just as good. One results in a goal and the other one sadly doesn't. Well, that's right, but it, it, thankfully for him, it was a most, it was a more important one that went in, and yeah. because otherwise, if England, if it, if Argentina would have won on on the strength of the handball, it would it would have really yeah. been a sad moment for him. Uh, but he kind of set the record straight by, and they couldn't really argue with him after that. And the England players who, <laughs> and no one mentions the, the diabolical defending of England yet. Yeah. The pass back, you know, the, the when he handled the ball, uh, the silly pass back and thing, the reckless defending, it was awful, you know. And uh, and I always say, you know, about Peter Shilton, the I played with him at Stoke, and he's a big, big lad, uh, and he was slow coming out. Yeah. He was slow to coming out to, to the ball, and Maradona's about five foot five. Peter's about six foot one, upright. And he's got he's got long arms, uh, and he yeah he out he out fought him and outwise him really, and uh, that was that was still genius. It was okay, it was cheating, but he's not the first man to do so. And and so don't judge him, just don't judge him by that. He, he wanted to win that badly, and going back to '66, you know, with a Hurst goal. All right, it was said later on that it was a goal, but they didn't know it. Nobody knew it at the time. No, they they didn't have a clue, and you had Roger Hunt said I didn't even bother to follow the ball into the net because I knew it was in. Well, he didn't know it was in. It happened too quickly. Yeah, and again, so, we 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 take that because that's for us. <laughs> yes, absolutely, again, absolutely. Yeah. Again, so if it was the other way around, we'd be well, arguing. Well, it wouldn't. It wouldn't, it wouldn't. Well, it would never have been the other way around if it was the Germans. <laughs> you know, uh, that would that have been given in Berlin or Munich? I don't think so. You know, uh, and a Russian linesman. He, he just had to make his mind up quickly who he liked out best. Who he, did he prefer the English to the Germans, or am I going to get out of the country alive? Probably, you know, <laughs> if I don't give it. 
Peter Gabriel, don't give up, which is your first uh, pick uh, of uh, this podcast. What's the story behind the track there? Were you a big Peter Gabriel fan? Did you like Genesis? Or is it just a song that evokes memories? No, no. I, I, I It wasn't till very late on, because I met Phil Collins um, a couple of times. And uh, in, in the first time I met Phil, was a, it was... It was just over 33 years ago, because my father died uh, that about 10 days ago, 33 years ago, and I met him on the night, the night after my father died, and because he, my friend used to drive, was his right hand man, he was driving about, and so I was a big Collins fan, yeah. but I didn't know too much about uh, Genesis, in all fairness, and uh, my my cousin who I adored, Anthony Mason, who, who left us. Uh, he educated me on Peter Gabriel, and he, he, and I took him to a show one night to see Gabriel, and uh, fell in love with him. His music is, he was way ahead of anybody. Um, and I just, no, I, I, I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I had most of his music. This was, this was just a super song that, you know, really does tell it all, doesn't it? You know, don't give up, and. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of, obviously, we're talking about the times we're going through now and there's a lot of people suffering and and I, it takes me back to when I was in hospital and it was, you know, it was either, it was either fight your way out of this. They said I'd never walk again. One doctor said I'd never walk again and introduced me to another doctor and said, this is man, I said, we'll never walk again. And I, luckily, I, I can say that I've never been so happy to be wrong. So I, I was faced with something, you know, and it's all about not giving up, you know, if you, you've, even if it's your last breath, you know, you just don't know, you don't know. And I think that, that song really tells you the story about that.
dedicate that song to all the heroes out there that are keeping so many of us alive during these awful times uh, the doctors the nurses the medics and anyone that works in arguably the greatest thing that we have in this country which is the nhs well i think at the time i found out i found out with my year in hospital uh, when i come out of my coma in, around march uh 98 um i was supposed to be in i was supposed to be working in france for the world cup i've been over there with my friend and i was supposed to be working you know in, in a different uh for him uh and i ended up watching it on in from my hospital bed and i used to have the 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 young doctors and nurses in my room and my mum used to feed them and they were just fantastic. They were, you know, I, uh, you know, until you've been there and you experience that, you just don't know how good these people are. They really are. The young kids, they come in here and they, you know, they're they're so they're so up and and they haven't got two pennies to rub together. They don't get paid that much and they they give, you know, they care so much. And I used to go over the take them over the pub and whatever, and uh, in in my wheelchair, which. Uh, was another thing and they're just they're just fantastic people and uh i said to me, two or three prof- professors that uh you know i do realize the difference between you people and football managers because you you do your you study and you become what you become because you do, you've you've worked for years in this where football managers don't even they just give them the job and that's it, you know. Yeah. How do they get the job half the time? I don't know. And the difference is with with this disease that we've got now, we, we don't know where it is. It's an invisible disease. We don't know who's carrying it. Back in your day when you had that hit and run, which was an attempted murder, um, it was an attempt on your life, yeah. you you had <clears throat> you had a fifty when you were just referencing that coma, it was a fifty nine day coma Al. I mean you were you were so lucky really to pull through that and the amount of operations that you've had since to to think that you're still alive and working and and and, and walking around with us and being part of of our lives is is quite incredible in in its own right isn't it well yeah it's um it, it was something that you know, you can't, you don't, nobody knows when it's, it, it basically, nobody knows when it's their time, do they? It's, um, you can, you can listen to whoever, uh, but nobody knows it's, 
what, what I mean, I remember the day so clearly um, of having a fantastic day out. I had a wonderful day out at lunch and I was working for the Sporting Life at the time and I had a great editor called Tom Clark and he invited me along. And uh, I knew friends, Ray Winsome was there, I remember. A couple of boxing friends of mine were there. Uh, I had a wonderful time. I had a wonderful night on the way home with my, another friend, and we were talking about Christmas and how Christmas, what Christmas was going to bring for me and my friend Henry. And he said uh, how happy he was, and uh, he's talking about his partner. He would never give his partner up for for any, all the tea in China. He's never been so happy. And I, I, you know, and I wasn't very happy. And my relationship, I'd only been married about six months. I knew it was going nowhere, and. Uh, Lo and behold, you know, we we hugged, wished each other Merry Christmas and 15th of December and I woke up in March. So who knows? It was incredible. I mean, what what memories have you actually got from from that time where the, the car struck you? Because, you know, the, the, the police looked at it by all accounts. I mean, it, it was an attempt on your life, no matter how... Um, people want to look at it. It wasn't just Alan Hudson, as the papers put it. Alan Hudson has been there. He's had a night out. He's walked in the road. The cars hit him. It, it was it was very very sinister, wasn't it? What was your actual memories about that impact? And 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 didn't didn't that car smash you into a tree, which really internally messed yeah, you up as well? Yeah, it threw me. Actually, I was to find out that. Um... I see the uh, photograph of the car because the solicitors had to show me that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I said, what happened was he, the police said that I stepped in front of the car, which number one was very sinister because I know I didn't. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I remember, the, the thing I remember, the thing that stands out in my mind is uh, when I used to come home, it was, I was in Holborn and uh, I used to take a train and, when I used to get back to Whitechapel, um, to Bow, I I used to make up my mind to swap out the line and go closer to home. But this particular night it was such a beautiful night. It was December, December night, and it was like summer, yeah. and it was it was it was incredible. And I thought, no, have a long walk. And you know, after the chat, I just had a conversation. I just had with my mate Henry. I I just walk in and take taking it all in, and I. Always used to cross the road at the same place because I used to cut through past the police station where I got hit and walk through past the supermarket. And I remember all, I'd always do it when I crossed over. I'd, I'd phone my wife and said, look, I'm going through, I think it was, um, well, it was, it was, a, it was a, in Roman Road, a, a supermarket there. I used to walk through the back and go out the front to, when I lived at, basically there in Roman Road and uh, to ask my missus if she wanted anything bringing in and mm. she said no and uh, I got and I, I never got to the other side of the road it was uh, and there was nothing on the road there was absolutely nothing on the road it, it's, it's like a four four lanes in Whitechapel Road I think it's the biggest road in England apart from a motorway yeah. um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I know I can remember, I can, I can remember it vividly. I, I was so clear-headed about everything because I remember it being such a, a beautiful night, and I just thinking, I, I remember I got a phone call in the daytime that somebody wanted to see me. He read my 
sporting life piece and he wanted to see me about a bit of work the following morning and I would never ever got to find out who that fella was because of the accident so there's many things so my, my, my head was clear I'd had a good day out socializing a very very good day out because I was in good company and uh, but there was something in the back of my mind that told me that I wasn't right about and I when I let when I left the uh, the, the second place I went to after the luncheon, I said to Henry, we walked across the road at Holborn and I, and I see the lights. There's a bar called James, it used to be Jamie's Bar, which always reminded me of Jamie Redknapp, funny enough, because yeah. he lived up the road and young Jamie. And I used to drink in there quite a lot with my friend. And I said, come on, we're going to, have a, we're going to Jamie's Bar. It was just lit up like, you know, so tempted. It was like luring you in there, you know. Yeah. It was the only one. It was the only one really lit up. And I said, "Come on, Emery, we'll we'll, we'll finish the night off properly." And uh, that's. And I always thought because when I when I was telling Henry about my situation at home, um, there was three or four fellas in uh, businessmen in suits, and they recognised me. They they kept looking over, and they were a couple nodded kind of thing, you know. And they were very, very close to our conversation. If they were listening to our conversation and how worried I, I well, not, I wouldn't say worried. I don't know what the word is. I, concerned. I, I was, I, yeah, I was, I was concerned about how Christmas was going to be, and you know what movie she was going to be, and when I got in, and how it was going to end up, how Christmas was going to be, and and if she, they, these people standing next to me, if they'd have put on the radio at five or six o'clock the following morning and heard the news, they might have even thought it would have been a suicide. Yeah, I was that. Yep. I was that way. That was how my conversation went. Yeah. Uh, but nothing ever come of it. Um, and my friend, a very good friend, I speak to him two, three times a week. He lives in East London, and he said uh, there was only one witness. And uh, he said there, there, the two cars were revving up at the traffic lights behind. I didn't hear it, but they, there was no danger at all. And he, but he said he, he heard this noise, and next thing you know, this car was gone. Mm. And um, and then the next thing you know, uh, he was going to be my witness. But the police went round there and threatened him. Uh, you know, started asking very personal question about his own life, and they he cried off. So I was left with no witness. Incredible. It's all very, it's all very, it's all very uh, Godfather-like, um, and it's so easily done. It's, it's so easily done. If you know, it, and I had a, I had a brief. The, the my wife uh, and their family, they got me the solicitors, and the solicitor kept coming into my, and I ended up throwing the solicitor out, and and got a new, a new solicitor, um, someone I knew because he kept trying to talk me into saying that I walked in front of the car. It was just crazy, really. Incredible. Your second uh, track tonight, Al, um, The Beatles, Get Back. I've got to say, personally, one of my favourite Beatles songs as well. And I think 1968 they recorded that, didn't they? Well, as I say, I read that uh, thing yesterday. I didn't realise it was the last time that they... um, they last recorded together. It was the one on the rooftop, which caused a lot of, uh, <laughs> it didn't cause, well, it caused a problem to some people because not everybody likes the Beatles and people don't really, there's a lot, not like, a lot of people like enjoying themselves. Yeah. But I certainly would like to have been on the roof with them. But, um, 
it was um, it was a time when they, you know, it's it's like how can you? It's like going back to Maradona. He will probably say that wasn't the best goal he's ever scored because he scored so many like it, and that's how great players and out this world players feel and. Like Sinatra, name the best Sinatra song ever. Well, you can't because he, there were so many. And the Beatles were like that. They didn't. They didn't have the best song really. They, they just knocked songs, fantastic songs out one after the other, didn't they? Um, we we've done on your show before the Bee Gees, and you just can't pick a best song. The Beach Boys, you know, you just yeah. you just can't pick them. But this this was a great track, and it was quite quite appropriate for that. Rooftop um, situation. It was it was Let It Be as well, wasn't it? I think it when they promoting Let It Be because they they almost as you as you alluded to that that was the last one and it was it was quite a famous situation because can you remember any other bands that have recorded on the top of a roof? It was all they I mean they were quite wacky and and they were quite maverick in their own way and and all four of them of course had different sides to their personalities didn't they well absolutely i mean it's like it's like a football team yeah. uh yeah you've got to have different people and different different ways of thinking uh, there's no doubt that lennon was a boss he was the wackiest of the lot and he was a, the most forward of the lot uh they had three geniuses and a goalkeeper really didn't they a, a goalkeeper that weren't very good um you know, and as we we said on the show before, you know, when Lennon was asked, is, is Ringo the, you know, you're the best group in the world, is, is Ringo the best drummer? And he went, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles, let alone the world. So that just about summed Lennon up. But uh, Lennon was behind all, all the success, I'm sure. Uh, and it's like playing in midfield, me playing in midfield yeah. with someone who's also a little bit different with like George Harrison it, when they split up and he, he made his album, you know, all things must pass. Um, he showed his genius as well. He was nobody's fool, you know, and of, of course McCartney is the only one that really um, has never gone forward for me. McCartney, I used to really like him when he was younger, but uh, he, he hasn't really done too much since I don't think. Now, with Lennon and McCartney at Greenough and Hudson, who was George Harrison? What football player from that Stoke team? 
Well, George Harrison would have been um, a, a probably. He was. He, he, he was. Uh, I, I don't know. He, he was probably a John Mahoney. John yeah. Mahoney was my sidekick in midfield, and he was the one. You know, although George had class, and Mahoney was one of those would never get noticed, and he would. Um, I, I always used to say him. I say to uh, Terry Conroy. I said to him one night. I said, uh, and I'd, I'd done this chat one night, and I said, when I when I when we used to train. And John Mahoney used to train. You would never think that this fella could play football. He was useless in training. He couldn't. He wouldn't run. He wouldn't. Didn't do a cross country. He couldn't sprint. He couldn't do nothing. He he never touched the ball in a five aside and nothing. But Christ Almighty, on a Saturday afternoon, he he was quiet in the dressing room. You never knew he was there. And uh, there he was. You know, when it come to the, the the bell going and you're going walking through that door I just look for him and uh, I remember Tony Wadden pulling him aside one day having him in the corner one day uh, at Bramall Lane and we needed to win badly and uh, Tony Waddington didn't usually used to do this but he had him pinned in the corner and there was no doubt telling him that you've got to stop you've got to stop Tony Curry today that's your job. And he, he did a magnificent job with him. And, and and he did the same when we were turning down against the Leeds, Leeds when they were going to break the record. And I kind of looked at him as much as say, Josh, you've got to get hold of Giles and I'll I'll get hold of Bremner. We've got to turn this round. We were 2-0 down. And, and they still talk about it up there as the greatest game ever at, at the Victoria ground. So I, w- I would say Mahoney was, you know, you were, you don't want, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. You want him in your team. You don't. I wouldn't like to play against him every week. I want him in next to me. And while we're still in the Stoke um, dressing room, and it was half time, and did did you get it back to two two? Didn't you? Because Leeds United took an early lead, and then had a goal disallowed, I believe. And then you guys come back into the game two two, half time. The studs are going in the dressing room. The bell's going, and you've come out. And then I think it was Dennis Smith from a corner that that, that got the winner. Not only one of the greatest games for Stoke City, one of the greatest games in British football. Well, I think for the neutral, I think yeah. that I think the whole country must have been listening onto the radio. On the radio, they must have heard that we were two 0 down. Yeah. Oh, Leeds are going to break the record, and and the and the Leeds players were just swanning around. When, as you say, they scored a third goal. Joe Jordan, Joe Jordan scored a header from close range header, and he was given offside, which he he, he was. Um, but had it, had it been today, God forbid, if VAR were there and they hadn't <laughs> given it, and Christ Almighty would have been three 0 down. It would have been that would have been impossible. It, it was a mountain we couldn't have climbed, um, no matter how well we played. But uh, we still felt we were in it. And Mickey Padgett, get my friend Mickey Padgett, got the first goal uh, from a free kick, and then I equalised. Got scored my first goal for the club uh, just before half time. Uh, about half an hour in, and I just knew we were going to win from there. And the crowd was just unbelievable. You know, they they were definitely a 12th man. But that was that was a great game. I mean, Leeds, Leeds weren't the force. In all fairness, I think they. Uh, I don't really know. Some someone coming to 
one kid. I can remember a kid running in the dressing room after, after the game. He, he was doing the, the Leeds dressing room. He was only an apprentice. And he said, Jack Charlton's just smashed the window in. Well, someone's just smashed the window in and through, put his fist through the window. They were they were enraged and up, up the, just along the corridor, which was fantastic, you know. So that's, that's what it meant to them. Uh, they see it as they threw it away, but we were superb. And uh, from number one to eleven, that our team. But uh, but we were a very very good team at that time. You know, it wasn't it weren't uh, like one of those you set. You know, you'll see in a cup of a shock or nothing like that. But you know, we fancied ourselves because on the Wednesday afternoon, uh, our governor took us up to see and play Bristol City, and Bristol City knocked them out of the cup in a replay uh, on the Wednesday afternoon. So you know. That was a bit a bit of forward thinking by what it and again, but although we weren't very happy going there because that was Wednesday was our day out uh, around all the Stoke local pubs. But um, no, no, we I mean we deserve, we deserved that, and we would have we would have went on to to really great things if the roof hadn't have fallen. Really. So it was a case literally of you win again, which again is another song on your playlist tonight from the Bee Gees, one of your your favourite groups. But let's just indulge a little bit in that Stoke City team for probably two or three seasons, because that's what you were there for, really. Um, you joined Stoke. I think, did they draw the Ipswich when you joined and that they they were in the bottom three and you said to your uncle, blimey, what have I done here? I've joined these. And then... You pretty much transformed Stoke, and for two or three seasons, Stoke City were one of the great teams in British football, and you were a nap whisker away from winning the Football League. In fact, in '75, when you played, uh, you made your debut against West Germany. The very next game, you beat Derby County, who went on to win the league on goal average that season. You beat them two one in the mud, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yeah, I mean, we we were flying at that. Yeah. So we were playing really well, um, and we couldn't see any other result but winning the league. Yeah. You know, we um, our own form was incredible, but it, it wasn't just that we were we were we were a super super football team at home, um, yeah. and we we were very hard to get the ball off, which was the main thing. But uh, I didn't really I didn't realise at the time um, because everything went a bit pear shaped. We we were still on top of Easter, uh, that was when the, the Shankly thing with Liverpool, and uh, I didn't realise, and of which I've read up on, that we, we got three broken legs, I think, in the last 10 games or something, yeah. which I didn't I didn't realise. I read something the other day about Patrick broke his leg in one game, and um, I didn't do it, by the way, so I'm one of their players. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he broke his leg and he went. He, he came back on with a broken leg. That's that was the kind of spirit that we had. And I must say that, that that's the kind of thing Pedge would do. But, um, yeah, we had three, three of them. I think it was three, maybe four. I don't know. But, yeah, we had we had some bad breaks at the end. Um, but that's that's life, isn't it? You know, yeah. who sees what's coming? Um but I'm sure that would have. I'm sure that wouldn't have bothered Tony that much at the time. I'm sure he would have seen the bigger picture and thought that you know we we proved that we we can get there and we can go on because two or three of our players were were getting on age wise, but we had we had good replacements coming in. You know, people like Alan Dodd were coming in. Um, 
So there was no problem for the future as regards losing them players. They were terrific players, all they men being terrific Stoke players. But uh, I'm afraid, like with Manchester United, who we played that year and they got relegated that year, all their players got too old together. Yeah. So it comes to an end. But we we weren't. I was only. I was still only 25, 26. Yeah, you kid. Yeah, Sammy was about the same. So mm-hmm. Green, Jimmy Greenoff was only about 27, 28. So we were, we were, and then we had the we. So we would have been the elder statesman in that team with the youngsters coming through. So, but we had the, we we'd have had the experience by then. And someone once said that we didn't know how to hold on to it when we got there. But that that wasn't the case. That certainly wasn't the case. still left in that Stoke City team wasn't there well there was we still had we had we still had a good side Um, you know we still we had Jeff Hurst up front he was coming to the end but he could have you could replace him then you know it's a shame that Osgood didn't sign when he reneged on the deal but yeah we we could have we I think it was better things to come there's no I'm no doubt and I and I'd say that because uh, the manager was so cute that he wouldn't he wouldn't have gone that far. He wouldn't have built that club that far and let it all go. He 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 was he was really on the ball, and you know it was just it was as devast- He was the most devastating man in the world when the roof fell in, and uh, and we had no money, and they had to sell me and Jimmy and Pedrick, so they had to get there. And then later on, obviously, sell Shilton, but. And then at the end of the day, the you know that's why there's no Victoria ground now. It's quite incredible, isn't it? Really, when you look at uninsured stands, and then because it was 1976, and it was the January of 1976, so it was the greatest summer, arguably, that any of us had seen. But we had a terrible storm that blew in in the January and blew the roof off, and it, it's quite incredible, really, how how things. Pan out. Well, it's it, it's actually that it's a little yeah. bit like this. It is a, actually. Well, it's like me talking to Don Shanks last week, and I'm saying we'll be in Portugal next week yeah. to see my son play. Uh, son's team play. They're playing in Portugal. We'll be, and now here we are, locked up, and um, you know, a, a country in absolute, absolute turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, this, it happens part of life, isn't it? You know, but uh, it, it seems I take it very, I take it a little bit more personal than everyone else because it seems it always seems to happen to me. 
you know, it happened at Chelsea with Osgood, and then it happened that, you know, they couldn't pay for the stand at Chelsea when they got rid of us. And then, uh, obviously, it happened again, and, and things happened again after that, and then the Mile End Road thing. And so you do, you, 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 you do ask yourself sometimes if, if someone's following you about, you know? Quite incredible. And who else is quite incredible is the Boothan... Uh, end at Stoke City and and there are some tremendous Stoke City groups and I mean quite a few because of the work that we do and um, I actually I mean Stoke City was almost my football club that I was going to support because when I was a babby I actually thought that I was talking to Gordon Banks and it was my dad's mate Alan Keating who used to play centre forward and you say son Gordon Banks is on the phone for you so I was almost going to be a Stoke City fan and there's that picture the iconic picture of you and and Pedrick at um, at Gordon's funeral, wasn't it? I believe when you're standing literally nose to nose, and lots of people were saying what was said. So let's go back to that picture briefly. What was said when you're nose to nose with Pedrick? Well, it was it started it started before that, Paul. It yep. was um it started. I went up with my friend Martin Light, and um, we booked into the hotel. We and I, I, I dress, um, because of my experience with Betty Shine, uh, she she told me one day about going to a funeral. She says, are you going to celebrate someone's life? And you, and you shouldn't wear black, yeah. shouldn't wear black tie. So that was out of the, the question. So so I just, we travelled up from London that morning and uh, to show respect, I love Gordon Banks. I loved him as a goalkeeper. I loved him as a fella. So there's no way I was going to miss that. And, and uh, we went into the pub opposite the church and all the Stoke fans were there. And they were all singing all that and all the photographs bit and autographs. And it was great. It was it was a f- fabulous day, um, you know, because of the occasion. And then I walked into the church and you had the 1972 team standing on the, uh, on the wings there, which I weren't. Uh, part of and they kind of looked me up and down and Pedrick was the one that had to say you know what you dress like that for I'd show a bit more respect and I said uh, well I'm I'm showing my respect because I've just come 150 miles to see to show my respect for, for a man I love so uh, it that really hasn't got much to do with you uh, but he was a man that said something you know early on when I first got there and and he was still keeping his kind of it's not really wasn't really a feud because I never fell out of him I just got on with my life I just think things like that were so petty you know um and I if it had been the other way around that he'd have traveled 150 miles down down to London to see me in hospital I'd have thanked him for coming all that way Mm. and uh I I see that I see that as a wrongdoing uh, you don't judge people by what they wear and how they show their respect. If they if they can actually put their self out and go 150 miles, um, I, I I think that's 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 great. I just and and a lot of the times I do that at Stoke is because I uh, I've done it before. I went to a do of their 25 years of winning the the, the League Cup when they beat us, and uh, I, I I went because. I, I truly believe that I was representing Tony Waddington. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have bothered. I wouldn't have bothered. I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have gone as myself. Why? Why would I want to go? I was on the losing side, yeah. and good luck to them. I didn't feel it at the time, but I was glad they won. You know, when I got to Stoke and got to know them and everything else, and I, I was just pleased they won it for my manager. 
and and for the people of Stoke-on-Trent. But um, uh, but that's that wouldn't I would never have felt that way if I hadn't joined them, and and had the experience that I had there, which was just phenomenal, you know. And that was the difference, wasn't it? There was, you know, the, the two dressing rooms, the Chelsea dressing room, you were a band of brothers, whereas the Stoke, and you're on about, like, Pedge judging you uh, quite recently at Gordon's uh, funeral, God rest his soul, but they judged you when you was a 22-year-old kid coming up because they didn't like you, did they? It was like, it, it was an us and them, and... And the first time that you met your, your pals there at Stoke was in the uh, the place nightclub. And it's like, well, I thought that we'd meet you here because that's what you were like. So they had an opinion of you and a wrong opinion of you even before you turned up at Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> well, they might have had the right opinion of me. <laughs> um, because, because at the end of the day, I am what I am and they are what they are. And I, I never... I never, I never, it never, uh, the only time I, I, I it really, uh, they use the word myver, don't they? Only myver, they ever bothered me was when Tony gave me a different colour bib in training and told him to pass the ball to me. And I said, Tony, what you've done here, you're making me enemies yeah. from day one. And that, that's how it all began. And, uh, and they just, they just, not all of them, but, you know, because I was very friendly with a few of them. Yeah. Uh, but two or three of them, uh, they they just went uh, went their own way because they didn't like it that I was a record signing and everything else. It hadn't been done before. Tony paid money they'd never heard of, and they were probably thought I was earning ten times as much as them, which couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. I, I don't even know what I was earning. I I didn't give a monkey about money, and I didn't. I just wanted to get my career back on track, and and Tony did it. So, um, I'm, and I'm proud to say that I did it on my own. I didn't do, I didn't need any help from any of them other players. Yeah. Uh, where at Chelsea, uh, I won, I won the FA Cup and the, the European Cup in the European Cup Winners' Cup in the first two seasons, and I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I, I thank Peter Osgood for that because his goals did it. It was a difference. Uh, so I do know. I'm not stupid enough to think that. Uh, without me, they wouldn't have done it because I know that Osgood won us some trophies, uh, and I know in the FA Cup in 1970 that Peter Houseman saved our life on a couple of occasions and, and got us through to the final. So it's a team game, and we all and that, as you say, but that was a, that was a difference between Stoke and, and Chelsea. We we had a not everybody in, in Chelsea dressing room. We wasn't all buddies, you know, but we the the majority of the lads in there, you know, it was a, it was really great time, fun to go in. Whereas at Stoke, it was it was different, you know. It was more. I enjoyed myself as much as Stoke as I did it at Chelsea in a different way because they're a different type of person, and uh, I love Stoke on Trent. I love the people there because I love them for their honesty, and that that is something that I believe I've got. Hundred percent, Al. We've been doing this for uh, for such a long time, and we're we're keeping our social distance again tonight. You're in World's End, and I'm in Bartley Green in, in Birmingham. <laughs> and uh, even the nights are better by air supply. And we so what's the story beyond the tracks there? Because you are a big fan of air supply, aren't you? Well, I found I found uh, air supply. Uh, they have been going long before, obviously, but. Uh, 
they they were they were just a band. There were two the two chaps um, uh, from Australia, and I, I just heard their music and fell in love with them. And uh, and my friend who kind of lived with me, Tony, the little TD, Tony Davis, he lived with me in Seattle for most of the time. He come over come over on holiday once for a month, and he was over there for about seven months. And he he see and this song represented our nights in Seattle really even the nights were better and, and when I come out of my coma they were talking they were telling me about who come in to see me and who didn't and how horrified they were the, the state of me and everything else and uh, and Tony told me he was uh, someone told me Tony was holding my hand and as I was on life support and he was singing even the nights of bed thinking I was going to wake up. This <laughs> <laughs> is the last song you want to hear when you, when you're out stone cold. <laughs> so, uh, so that, that, that song is, although it's a wonderful song it is it really is a wonderful song. It's, it's, it always reminds me of coming through the coma, which is uh, a, a typical Tony, you know, And I guess there, you know, even the nights are better. You, you know, you got them nights there in in your. Well, it was almost like a club that you had, didn't you, in your house in Bellevue? And then you had your pub in your 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 hospital, the White Hart, just over the road. And and towards the end of it, they they actually had to say to you, "Look, you're using this hospital like an hotel." So. Whatever you've been, you know, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you've always had great nights, haven't you? It's part of Alan. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've, I mean, it's, um, I don't know. I, I, you know, when you hear these, we, this, you know, I, I was looking earlier on at how many people have died already in this, uh, with this virus, you know, it's, it's, you think of all the families and, you know, it's heartbreaking. You know, people are heartbroken at this moment. It's really dangerous, serious stuff. You know, mm. and uh, I've always, I've always been of the opinion, that it, and I've always said to young players, uh, please 
don't, you know, you must go out and enjoy yourself. Come out with us and enjoy yourself, but never ever going back to Maradona, you know, never ever come in the next morning and not put it all in. You know, you must train as hard as you put. You you got to train even harder if you're out, and and that was, I think, the key to actually me staying alive. That because that could have been another song we could could have used, staying alive. <laughs> you know, because you know, I think I, I think I've all I've always said that the last training session I put in on 15th of December 1997 was the most important one of my life. I was I'd done a couple of hours on the bike. Uh, and I'd done about 2,000 sit-ups, and then I went in the, uh, the steam room after I did some more exercises. And, uh, it, you know, I just come out there and, you know, and I thought, here we go again, you know, we're going to lunch. It, and it, my philosophy is go and enjoy yourself because, you know, this might, this end might, this world might, your, your life might end today, yeah. tomorrow. Why, you know, and these people that, you know, some people don't want to go out and socialize. Some people don't want to drink. That's fair enough. But enjoy yourself, whatever it is. You've got to enjoy yourself. I mean, there's no, there's no better feeling than to laugh, and there's no there's no worse feeling than to cry and be sad. And there's a lot of people sad uh, over the world at this moment in time. They've lost they lost their loved ones, and it's it's a terrible time. But when when it all does pan out, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, that you know, they might realise that. You know, to go out and enjoy yourself a little bit more. Um, I mean, I I'm I'm very lucky in many ways. I haven't got much money mm. um, because yes, otherwise I'd probably kill myself. <laughs> you know, um, who knows where I'd end up? You know, especially with things always going wrong. But um, yeah, I, I I think I've always I've always my friends would tell you, you know, and they they laugh at me when I. You know, even if I have a day in, they laugh at me. They they bring me up, you know, say, what's going on? Are you not well? And I say, no, I've got to have a day off sometimes. <laughs> How are you coping with all the pubs closed? And you are a very social person. You like to go out, whether it's the bookies or, you know, you like to be in with people and talking to people and socialising. Well, I, 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 I tell you what, Paul, I've yeah. been very, very lucky. I've got to, um, it, it's incredible, really. I've <laughs> I've only got a very small fridge and freezer, but I go. <laughs> my friend Don Shanks called me the other day, and he said, "Meet me downstairs." I met I met him downstairs, and he I let him in my flat, and he brought me a, a package with he had a bottle of vodka, and he had a few bits and pieces to put in my fridge, and then all of a sudden, uh, my mate Tony Millard yesterday rang me up. He said, "Meet me downstairs." He's got a package. <laughs> Without the vodka, but of food, um, and tonight today I received a package from America from Ant, young Ant, my young Anthony yeah. saying, "Dad, have you got that package?" So now I've got too much food. <laughs> I've got, I've got, I can't get it in my fridge. So all these people are going in there and nicking all the stuff off the shelves in supermarkets. They could come around to me and take some of mine. <laughs> it so, is just mad. And, you yeah. know, you've got to have a little bit of, of humour in there because these are dark times. And I think that the one thing with us British, you know, in times of adversity, we, you know, we look at ourselves and laugh and uh, you've got to feel for Philip Schofield, haven't you? Oh, poor old Philip. He just come out, and then now he can't go out. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's um, it, it, we 
it's I've always said in you know when I was going back to when I was in hospital, it was it was only it was only keeping up my sense of humour yeah. that got me through it. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. If I'd have been serious about it all, mm. you know, I'd have felt. I know I've seen people do it. I, I'd have still been in my wheelchair. I'd have been in. Yeah. But you know, as I mentioned to you, you know, the day that we went over to the pub over the road and. I was in my wheelchair and I, I was with my, my cousin Anthony and uh, I just waved for him to go to the bathroom and I thought, now's the time I'm going to... There was no... I didn't think there was anybody in the pub. It was a Sunday morning and nobody was about. And I just put my hands onto the bar and I, I just... And I'm not really... I was not really that strong upper body and, and I just forced myself up onto the bar out my out my wheelchair and ordered a drink and there's a... The, the governor nearly fell over. He said, well, how you got out of that? And then next thing you know, there's a party of six people behind me, which I didn't know were there. They start applauding. Yeah. So uh, it was like watching a film, you know. And then my cousin comes out of the toilet wondering what's going on, what what they applaud, and they see me standing there. And he's, oh, fucking hell. he said, we've been trying all, all this time to get you out of that thing, and you do it in the pub. So there's a lot to be said for pubs. Yeah. <laughs> but there is, and, and, and that's it, because, you know, I mean, we all like a drink. We all like a tut. And, you you, you know, you, you, you're here for a short time. You might as well enjoy yourself. And for all the things that you've had, the adversity in your life and the operations, I mean, how many operations you've had today, Al? Well, I've kind of, I don't think uh, they really know. I don't know if it's 50 or 60 yeah. or whatever, because every day in the, I remember one one day in the um, in in the ITU, they had they they couldn't even take me to the opera amphitheater. They had to bring the opera amphitheater to me because they they said I would have died. Yeah. Um, I was too too weak to take, and uh, so they they brought it into my room and they they operated there. So that's how good these people are, mm. you know. Um, and and I remember one doctor actually saying that. Uh, in in the trauma meeting, let's not bother with this patient anymore, yeah. because he's got no chance. And uh, obviously, the great David Goodyear come around and see me and put him in his place. So uh, he's he's probably the main reason I'm here. And another band that you love, and another band that are a bit wacky, the Beach Boys. I mean, almost a barber choir, weren't they? And I'm, probably that's how they started. But what great harmonies and what great vocals and what a great band. Well, I, I think I it was I was I read this thing yesterday about um, them being in love with the Beatles and uh, one of the Wilsons wanted to be a Beatle. He wanted a, that's what made his mind up to to be a rock star listening to the Beatles. But I had a, I had a strange feeling that it was the other way around because yeah. um, uh, I was more into the Beach Boys. Um, I think they they were the they, I think they led the way for harmony, surely, yeah. uh, in, in my eyes. Definitely. You know, they're the most fantastic, incredible group. And uh, and I think that's why the, the Beatles and the, uh, the Bee Gees got it from. Yeah. I think, that, you know, but then, you know, they all, it's like a footballer uh, and, and probably a film star. You know, you, you've all got, you know, you all, all love your peers or... And, and that's why I was I was going mad about Maradona because you think oh I was good but Christ Almighty yeah. you know how good's this fella you know 
uh, how good was this fella, you know? And it, it, and it, I don't like it when people badmouth them, you know. No, absolutely. How no. much pleasure they give the world, you know? Yeah. Again, about pleasure, about entertainment, about enjoying yourself. Okay, he overindulged at times, but you know what? Don't we all at, at times? But the the song that you've picked from the Beach Boys, and then I kissed her. Um, that was recorded by another artist as well, wasn't it? That was a Ronettes. I can yeah. remember the Ronettes done that. Yeah. As uh, that was when, because I was a great, I was well into Tamla Motown at that yeah. time. You know, I, I loved Tamla Motown, and uh, um, it was just good. The, and I think everybody was. How could you not like that kind of music? Yeah. And yeah, they they did. Uh, and then he kissed me. And they turn it around, you know, and, and I think it's just a great rendition. It's just fantastic. And it just suits them so, so well, you know. And it's strange how they pick that song because uh, they picked a, a wonderful song and they just turned it around and made it even better. It's just a lovely song. And I guess in these times, with our social distancing, we can't get kissing the girls. We can't get kissing anybody at the moment. Well, um, no, we're not even allowed to shake hands. Although <laughs> they, they, were, they, was, they shook hands before the uh, Liverpool. They, they didn't shake hands before the Liverpool and uh, Atletico game, did they? But they were kissing yeah. when they scored. Exactly. So, you know, what's all that about? And then after, they all embrace each other and they're sweating and they swap shirts. And you just think, yeah, yeah. what is yeah. that all about? But it does bring us nicely to our last record, which is The Beatles. And I Want to Hold Your Hand, which I did look at Neil Diamond the other day because Liam Gallagher's done it as well. And there's a number of them on social media where they've reworded some of their popular songs with like hands, touching hands. No, don't touch hands. Keep your social distance. (laughs) But, But back in 1965 with The Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand. That was a massive hit, and again, another wonderful Beatles track. Yeah, it's um, it's funny. I, I when I said I uh, sent it through to you yesterday, I I read the piece, and it was uh, strangely enough, it was Paul McCartney. Well, he, he was going out with Jane Asher at the time, and uh, he went into the other room, and he he he, he shouted down to her brother Peter. Um, and he said, Peter, I want you to come and hear something. And they played it to Peter Asher. And uh, he said, you've got to make that play. He said, no, he said, play it again for me. So I, I don't believe what I just heard. And they, they played it again. He says, that's a, just a ready-made number one in any country in the world. And uh, and they sold, obviously, straight away, quarter of a million copies. And they went on to sell five million. 
and that's when they cracked the American market. So it's all down to that one song. I don't say it was a, the best song they've ever made, but it was the song at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, and obviously the girls loved them, so yeah. it was typical, and that's all they want to do is hold their hand. It was, uh, but they can't do it today, I'm afraid. But this is the thing, isn't it? If you're going to write a song, have a makeup. What a breakup song, because it will sell millions, won't it? Especially if it's got good chorus, good melody, and good harmonies as well, which the Beatles always made sure that they had that. Well, they they were the kings. Yeah. They were the kings at that. They uh, they were so you know, and even when they changed their style and they went into you know um, the with the Maharashi and all that, you know, they yeah. they they were they were still. Unbelievable! They, they just produced so so much great music, didn't they? You know, no matter what, um, from Strawberry Fields, the you know, a day in the life which we've had, yeah. uh, fantastic. Uh, they, they were just genius, wasn't they? And again, and, uh, yeah, again. I mean, again, going back, you know, it all ended up in tragic didn't it? with yeah. Lennon, you know. Yeah, you know. but but again, another group that liked to enjoy themselves and indulged. And I think if there's a message and the thread through this um, podcast has been, a, you know, one about hospitals, about never giving up, about the fact that we're living in such awful times at the moment, but still look at the day in front of you with a smile, with a sense of humour, and then perhaps we'll get through it. But if you cow down to it and you be negative, you know, you let you let things consume you. You've got to embrace it and just, you know, it might be your last day on the planet. Who knows? Just enjoy it and just enjoy life because life is short and precious. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it takes things like this for, to hit home to people. It takes a tragedy to for something to to hit home and for those that don't want to enjoy themselves, you know to carry on but uh i'm sure you know i got so many phone calls the first day of the of when all this happened and when they were closing the pubs and what we're gonna do what we're gonna do i said we well, gonna have to get on with it i'm used to it mm-hmm. i spent a year of it in in hospital although after six months i found the white heart over the road but um that's the way it is, and there's nothing you can do, you know. I bet the, I bet the funniest thing I'd like to go around to all the prisons and interview them and think what they what see what they're thinking at this moment. Um, because say, oh, now you know how it feels, you know, being locked up, yeah. So, um, it's a, it's a terrible thing because it's not, not just a locking up, it's a, it's a fault. I mean, I went out earlier on, and it's people. You know, there's fear on people's faces, you know, and it's a terrible, terrible time. And it is the thing that when you're locked up, when you're, you know, in that confined space and you feel almost as though you are a prisoner in your own four walls, you know, you've got to have that social interaction and and phoning up people, phoning up loved ones, phoning up your parents, phoning up your mates, you know, going on to FaceTime and interacting and, and just, are you okay? you know, probably knocking on your neighbour's door, especially if they're old, and keeping that social distance. But, you know, are you okay, those things? And do you need anything from the shops? And we can, you know, I think we've learnt an awful lot about ourselves over these last few days. And I think that, you know, if nothing else, 
I think we've learned a big social lesson and we've learned how precious life is, how important people are, and there is nothing more important than love. Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's another song we missed exactly, out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we uh, have got part nine, though, Woody, next month. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think I think it, it hits home. It, it takes something tragic to hit home to people, you know. And we were talking about it in our local, where we meet, um, uh, what we're going to do, you know. And I, I think there's a couple of people might have even threw themselves off the bridge or yes. got the razor blade out, you yeah. know, because there's nothing else to do. Where, where do you go and meet people? Yeah. Uh, even when we could go out, you know, where do you go and, where do you go and enjoy yourself? You go, you're going to a library, you're not allowed to talk. Yeah. Um, it's um there's only you go to the cinema you know the cinema goes a lot of people go to the opera but you know people like to where do you go and talk about our favorite sport you know it's the pub i mean without the pubs uh there'd be no football in fact uh because there's no football even more pubs are closing down now because football has been keeping them going for so long it's that that's how important it is and at the moment, there's only three pubs in Britain that's open. That's the Queen Vic, the, um, the Wolfpack. <laughs> well, <laughs> and they the return. <laughs> and I think they're closing them as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't think I fancy going up there anyway. So we're going to go it's... out with a big message and we're going to have another Beatles track. All you need is love, Al. So till next time. Those yep. are the days, my friend. Those are the days. Another Beatles song. And uh, I thought they'd never end, but they come back to haunt us again, Paul. And we will come back for part nine next month. And let's hope that in a month's time, it does look a little bit more rosier. And we're going, we're going to be going out. And when we do get out of our roses, it's going to be one hell of a party, or do <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, no, I, I'm I'm more I'm more positive than negative about this. Absolutely, this will, this will end uh, a lot sooner than what people say. Yeah, it certainly will. We got we got to we got to think that way. If 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 not anyway, because if you if you live any other way, then you know you you're living hell. Definitely, mate. And I'm going to make a, a train journey down to London to uh, to buy you a drink, and we'll have a we'll have a tot in the golden line when it's open again. <laughs> Why not, mate? Why not? <laughs> Cheers, Al. Till next time. Catch you later, right, pal. Cheers. Lovely. Cheers, pal. Thanks, Al. Bye, mate. Bye, bye, bye. Oh yeah, I tell you something. I think you'll understand. Say that something I wanna hold your hand I wanna hold your hand I wanna hold your hand Oh please Say to me Let me be your man And please Say to me You let me hold 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.